Hello and welcome to the first episode of Dunya Rising. I am your host Dunya and I live in Glastonbury. I'm a DJ, a sound healer, a creative, an activist and a lover of podcasts. In this podcast series we'll be exploring spirituality, well-being and creativity. I want to share all the conversations I've had with really inspiring souls who are sharing their gifts with the world so that we can heal, step into our power and find what brings us joy. In this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Cara Wheatley-McGrain, an educator, coach who is the founder of The Mindful Gut and author of Calm Your Gut, a mindful and compassionate guide to healing IBD and IBS. One in five people in the UK are living with a chronic gut condition like myself and I think this is why this episode is so personally important to me because I have Crohn's disease and I've always found myself feeling quite disempowered, not knowing what works and how to get to the root cause of these conditions. And my dearest sister Elfa is a guest host on this episode. Elfa is an intuitive, psychic, highly compassionate healer, coach and energy worker, also based in Glastonbury. And this series features the music of Starseed Soul, a really close friend and Bristol-born electronic music producer, DJ and pianist. Her music really elevates mind, body and soul and the track featured in this series is called Indian Dub. So check out the links in the description for more information about her music and mixes. In this episode, Cara shares her story with gut health problems. She talks about food as medicine, what the microbiome is, the relationship between gut health and mental health, the importance of compassion, the role of the energetic body, movement and dance for healing. She leads us through a short belly metta bhavana practice in the episode. And at the end, I'm so excited to share with you a full version of this belly metta bhavana practice in collaboration with Starseed Soul. So this will be fully released in the coming weeks, but we get to hear it played out here in this beautiful co-created track that really takes you on a journey. And here are some of my favourite quotes from the episode. That authentic relationship and almost authority that we have over our own body, because often we give that away, when we get a label, especially a medical label, we kind of give away a certain amount of our bodily autonomy to the person who's given the label. I think when we create a little bit of space to listen, there's the opportunity maybe to hear in our bodies what we need. Our gut communicates to our brain, but our brain is also communicating to our gut. There is this deeper level of knowing Mm -hmm. that we experience in our lives, which is in our gut, and our gut is responding and kind of I guess shaping how we feel and we often because we're kind of you know living neck upwards we don't always connect to that and feel with that I'm on my side I'm I'm with myself like you know going back to like literally touching our belly touching our heart I'm actually connected so the ying of self-compassion is this idea of being tender and gentle and kind and soft and yielding but the yang of self-compassion is it's actually about being strong. It's advocating for ourselves. It's articulating. Yeah. It's setting boundaries. It's being like, no. Yes. And it's clarity. Yeah. It's a ceremonial process. Yeah. It's a really powerful process. And I think ceremony and ritual 
can be really supportive when we're healing. It can support us to stop, to be more aware, to be more present. Cara, thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. We've just been so excited to interview you. I am so happy to be here. I'm really excited. It's so lovely gathering as women in this virtual space to have this conversation. So I'm really up for it. Yeah. So we know that you're a coach, a meditation practitioner, an educational consultant and an author. We both absolutely love your book as well. You've been living with gut problems from an early age. Can you just tell us a bit more about your story? I'm really aware that every time we talk more openly about gut health, actually, it's really important for other people. It gives other people the permission to talk more openly about gut health. And so my story started really, I think, as the child who had a very bloated belly. I was an anxious child. I always seemed to have like a swollen belly, uncomfortable, difficulty digesting certain foods. As far back as I can remember, probably six or seven. And then I had the GP out a few times in my teens, couldn't quite work out what was going on, why I was having so many stomach pains. And then eventually I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis when I was at university. And honestly, at that age, you get a diagnosis and you kind of take it on the chin. You kind of go, OK, you know, what does that mean? I, I don't know, really. I didn't Google it, which is really strange. I just <laughs> didn't kind of go into that space. I just accepted it. But then I didn't really make significant changes. I quite soon after my diagnosis, a couple of years after my diagnosis, I got really ill really quickly. And I ended up in hospital and I was put on a drip. I was put on intravenous steroids and the consultant took my mom aside because I was in such a state. I was so ill and said, if Cara doesn't respond to this intravenous steroids in the next 48 hours, we're going to have to operate to remove her colon. I was really thin. I'd lost a lot of weight. I was very weak. And that first night I was in hospital, I was so ill. I had an experience of really being out of my body. I felt disconnected from my body. I felt like I wasn't actually in my body. I felt like I was at a distance. I had a very strange experience in the night when the nurses were coming around going, her blood pressure's still really low, we need to give her another drip. And I remember that, and I remember feeling like I was at the side of myself, slightly above. I was in hospital for a few weeks. I was slowly weaned off the intravenous steroids. When I got home, I, I had to build myself back up, really. I was so thin, I was so emaciated, really malnourished, I guess mm -hmm. you'd say. I had basically been told... I'd almost inevitably had to have surgery. I avoided it this time, but I would almost inevitably have surgery and that I was on medication for the rest of my life. And that's, that's tough to hear when you're in your 20s. That's a really tough thing to process. And actually, I was a bit stubborn. I was thinking, ah, there must be something. I've, I've got a really strong gut instinct. There mm. must be something I can do. And that's the start of my, of my journey, really, with my gut health. I really resonate with that as well, because I think I told you before, I've been living with Crohn's disease. And when you described that hospital experience, it kind of like it was reminding me of an experience I had as well, where it was this similar situation on the steroids, on the drip, and pretty much the consultant saying, you should be lucky that you're not having surgery at this point. And it was just that close. 
So I really thank you for sharing that story because I think a lot of people are, as you know, living with these gut health problems in the UK and especially a lot of young people nowadays. So where did your research take you? How did you get to the point of, you know, writing the book, starting the Mindful Gut UK? How did it get to that point of deciding that you really wanted to sort of dedicate your life to supporting people with gut health problems? Oh, that's such a powerful question. Thank you. I I think for me, the first start of the journey was I had a really strong instinct that food mattered, that food had an impact. The choices of food that I was making were having an impact on how I felt, not just in my gut, but in my body and myself, my well-being. I started to become more intuitive when I was choosing food, particularly that first very serious episode of being hospitalized and coming out. I had a sense I needed to build myself back up. And so I would pick up food at home and I would just be, I need to eat this. I need to eat this avocado and these walnuts. I need to eat it. I was just like, felt the food was resonating, like literally like, oh, this is, this is food that's making me feel better. I think our bodies want to be well. Our bodies want to be balanced. I think when we create a little bit of space to listen, there's the opportunity maybe to hear in our bodies what we need. Yes, that's really interesting. Because you had a question about the food, didn't you? Yes, yes. You talk in your book about trigger foods. And then I thought this really interesting. What are trigger foods? How can we avoid trigger foods? Mm -hmm. How they affect our daily life? Can you talk about this a little bit? It's quite a big question in a way, because actually we know there are common trigger foods that actually many of us have a response to. And what's really interesting is we can get hung up on the foods, but a lot of it, in my experience, is actually about the way those foods are processed. You know, we get hung up on wheat and gluten. That's a really common one. And actually, I'm not great with wheat and gluten. It's not, it's not my thing. I tend to, I, I make my own bread. I use different flour. But what's really interesting is I spent a lot of time ex- examining like gluten-free products and thinking, oh yeah, this is the solution. It's not got wheat, it's gluten-free, it must be okay. But actually, I started to realize this stuff isn't great. Some of this stuff is really highly processed. If you check the shelf life, it's kind of, it would be around for like years and still be edible. I was thinking, hmm, what's in, what's in this? What are we eating? There are very common kinds of trigger feed. Wheat is a very common one. Dairy is quite a common one, certainly in the IBD community and IBS community. Those are two very common foods. And sometimes when people remove them, they feel, oh, I feel better. But what's actually happening is sometimes we're removing the highly processed foods from our diet and we're actually eating more natural food. So there's, there's something to kind of be unraveled. And I think it's often very personal for the individual involved. And it might be that your body and your gut microbiome, you know, your inner world of gut bacteria are actually struggling with some of the very artificial foods, the artificial sweeteners, the emulsifiers and the chemicals that are in that food more than a specific ingredient. There's a a risk that we kind of simplify and we go, it's, you know, we get rid of this, we go gluten-free, we go dairy-free and we kind of restrict and we restrict and we restrict. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think that's something I feel quite passionate about is actually what we want to do ultimately is Mm. to be more diverse we want to be eating a really wonderful diverse diet of rich foods and nourishing ourselves 
and and eating you know I say real food like food that is we can see tangibly where where it's come from yeah what the actual parts of it are that have come together you know I love that I feel like doing the detox and Elf has obviously had to coach me through it I mean psychologically it is really difficult to keep saying no to yourself and I was opening up to Elfa about the effect of saying no to certain food groups, especially when you're feeling emotional, you're feeling low, or you're, you know, pre-period. So I found myself like saying no to this, but it meant that I was binge eating in order or like really overeating to deal with it. Or if I wasn't binge eating, I was eating at such a speed. I really love that you talk about sort of building this intuitive relationship with food because so much of it does feel psychological when you're not actually hungry, but you're eating because you're bored or you're feeling sad. I feel like so often when we think about diets or gut health, everything can feel really strict and regimented and living in a very stressful world. It, it's kind of hard to do that because a lot of us are eating food as a way of coping. This is such an important space, actually, for t- to talk about, I think, and maybe as women to talk about, because actually we get so many messages around what's right and what's wrong what we should be and shouldn't be doing you know there's a whole diet culture as well isn't there there's so much that's thrown at us from such a young age that it gets very cloudy it gets very foggy what's what's actually right and I think the other thing is the more that I've gone on my own journey and have worked with other people the more I realize we're so individual Our, our biology our gut microbiomes are unique and we can have very different responses to the same food that other people might have and even have different responses to the same food on a different day because just what you were saying Donnie, we eat it like too quickly we eat it under pressure or stress or anxiety and our body just shuts down like my digestive system and I have we've been working together to like grow our relationship over time and I just noticed like I have a quite a sensitive digestive system. My gut is quite sensitive. Yeah. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. It is. And so if I'm really highly stressed, it wants to shut down. It doesn't want to digest. It doesn't want a big meal. It's like I have to kind of I have to work with it. I have to take a few breaths. I have to just arrive at the table. I have to just be a little bit more present with my plate mm. before going, I'm just going to eat this whole meal now. This idea of opening up that intuitive more caring relationship with our whole digestive system I think is really important particularly if we're living with a gut health issue you know we have to we almost have to like re-establish that relationship like re-establish that that partnership yeah, yeah absolutely it, it's it's what you say it's being it's being mindful mm-hmm. of your eating and and your environment and if you're feeling triggered not going to to the trigger food yep. <laughs> bread for me chocolate yeah, yeah. sugar yeah <laughs> and also I just it is it's difficult to be mindful in the world today where everything feels so overwhelming overwhelming yes, and absolutely. it's really hard to just some I realized you know having coaching with Alpha I was my biggest struggle it wasn't you know the typical you know when you get coaching of I need to be motivated I need to do my struggle was actually being calm being present and and being present I was like I need coaching to learn how to just be still and it does massively impact our diets when you start getting these labels you start to feel a bit disempowered but I think 
reading your book and you know speaking to Elfa, I've learned so much that we can live so well and healthily with gut problems. A couple of things are really coming up to me as you say that is one about that authentic relationship and almost authority that we have over our own body because often we give that away when we get a label especially a medical label we kind of give away a certain amount of our bodily autonomy to the person who's given the label who then tells us all the different things that now need to happen and the different tablets and procedures we need to have and I I've got to say as I say that I have a huge respect for you know western medicine you know it saved my life. I wouldn't be here having this conversation if I didn't have intravenous steroids at that point. Yeah. It completely saved my life. And there's a really important role in medication and treatment. Mm-hmm. But I also think when we're talking about chronic conditions, the ability to step back and look at the big picture and yeah. look at our relationship. I mean, Donnie, you were just talking about the idea of speed, you know, the idea of overwhelm and speed. And and I hear you, you know, we... <laughs> You know, we live in a we, we live in a world, don't we, where there's so much pressure to to kind of race through everything, race through what we eat, race through our day, race through every, every aspect of our lives. And actually, some of us more than others might struggle with that because that's just not how how our our being needs us to be. Our digestive system, in particular, is so affected by that, and you know, we're in fight and flight mode all the time. It's completely not a space where you can digest food. There's a biology to it. It shuts down our digestive, our digestive enzymes. You know, our saliva stops. We get a dry mouth, like literally. So we're not starting that, that digestive process in the mouth. And then it shuts down the digestive enzymes in our stomach. It literally means our body's going, no, I've, I'm, not, I'm not in food mode. I mean, do I need to run away? How, is there an emergency? How, how do I respond? I need to focus mm. on safety. That's my priority. And that's a wonderful evolutionary device, you know, that's been created in our bodies. But we're in that state for much of our waking life and feeling that, then there's a real issue with us being able to digest our food. And so the ability for us to drop into our parasympathetic mode and drop into that rest, digest, tend and befriend mode by just noticing that we've been rushing around by taking some breaths. It's that simple you know just arriving just being a bit more present that's when we actually can start to think about I, I'm actually quite hungry I need to eat some food I actually notice my hunger I hit I feel my hunger and it's so simple it's almost so simple that we miss it but it's <laughs> profound you know yes yes yeah I, I think that's what I really appreciated about your book I love that there are so many exercises with it because I think other books that I've found it's very scientific and although I appreciate it it's not really accessible for the mainstream but sometimes again like having that label Crohn's disease chronic condition for me it just feels oh am I going to be ill forever it just mm. feels really disempowering to the point that I almost I've actively avoid googling it and going on mm. websites for the fear of I don't want to see those pictures mm. I don't want to look at that because then I'm the sick person and then I'm affirming that in my body which means that I'll always be the sick person.
I would just love to just have a bit more of a description about the microbiome because I feel like this whole part of my education <laughs> was massively missed in school. We didn't learn we didn't anything, anything about it in I, our school. Not at all. And I feel, just, you know, I feel really naive <laughs> that I've lived without this basic knowledge. So I was kind of reading the book. You were saying that the microbiome contains 70% of our immune system. The bacteria populate in the gut. We've got about 4,000 species, which have a population of 100 trillion. And yet many of us don't, including, hands up, no shame. (laughs) I didn't understand the microbiome at all. Yeah. And and I just want to also say, I think it's okay that we haven't heard about it because actually I think a lot of our biology teachers probably didn't know much about it. And I think What's been really fascinating is the research on the gut microbiome has exploded in the last decade, partly because, going back to what you just quoted there, Donia, about 70% of our immune system being linked to our gut, actually we realise the health of the gut microbiome actually shapes our immune response. I really think it's going to change medical approaches over the next few decades. I would say the simple and really important thing to know about the gut microbiome is it changes over our lifetime and that we have this amazing range of species, but all of us will be slightly different. It's a bit like our fingerprint. It will be slightly different. It will be slightly unique to us. And the things that can shape our gut microbiome are what we eat. So that's a really empowering thing. So our, our, our food, the foods that we eat regularly will change our gut microbiome. There are things that can have a negative impact on the gut microbiome. So antibiotics. And just by the nature, they actually kill bacteria. So they can kill, I mean, they can be life-saving, but they can also have a negative impact on our gut microbiome. So just to say the way that we kind of measure the health of the gut microbiome is we look at the number of bacteria. um, We look at the diversity of bacteria. We want a really lovely, diverse set of bacteria because that's like increases the resilience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I talk about it and I'm kind of teaching in education, I talk about it a little bit. An analogy is like a garden. If you imagine you had a, a gut garden, like an inner gut garden, and you and you were looking, you were kind of the caretaker, you were cultivating and looking after it. A healthy garden actually has lots of different plants and insects and birds. And this kind of supports, different, the different species support each other. So if you think about bees pollinating different plants and maybe birds feeding on different insects, it becomes a really self-sustaining balanced system if you've got lots of different species. If you just have like a monocrop, like if you just have, I don't know, just a load of grass or just a load of wheat or just one crop in your garden, one species, it's not so resilient. It's going to need a lot more help. It's going to need a lot more support to survive. Mm -hmm. So diversity is good. Diversity really helps us. And what's emerging is that in the West, our range of diversity tends to be less than in countries with more traditional kind of, I suppose, diets which haven't changed as significantly as our Western diets have, who aren't eating kind of processed foods and they're kind of having access to antibiotics in the way that we are in the West. So the Western gut microbiome tends to have less bacteria and less diverse range of bacteria. But what's also interesting to know about the gut microbiome is another measure is balance. There's a balance between what we would say, kind of use the word good and bad bacteria, but we kind of got to be careful there because bacteria isn't necessarily bad, but there's helpful and less helpful bacteria. So a bit like with the garden, you might have a, I don't know, some weeds in the corner. 
that's okay. You know, you can have a few weeds can look nice and they, they might have an important role in for insects to uh, pollinating them and kind of it's fine to have some but you don't want to have too many you want to have a balance you want to have a balance of different species you don't necessarily want to have lots of nettles taking a whole section of your garden you want it to be kind of like lots of different color lots of different interweaving of different species and similarly with our gut microbiome as well there are some bacteria which are really not very helpful we know some of them like e coli and if they get out of balance they, we can get really ill but what's important to know, Donia, for, for people like me and you living with IBD, is that there are differences in the profile of people with inflammatory bowel disease in terms of our gut microbiome. It tends to be more imbalanced between the good and bad bacteria, often patterns where the diversity isn't quite so strong as people who don't have IBD. Mm-hmm. So it's useful for us to know that in terms of starting to maybe work to support the health and, and diversity of our gut microbiome. And basically, it starts with what we eat, definitely. That's a big, it's, a big, it's really, and, yeah. and diversity, like we're talking about diverse bacteria. Bacteria like to eat different things. Um, these some bacteria, you know, love kind of the skins of vegetables. They like high fiber food. So what we want to do is to kind of feed them what they love. And they also love real food. They're, they, you know, generally are good bacteria. <laughs> they want like recognizable food. That's what they they've evolved them. to eat. <laughs> yeah. I was interested, like thinking about the microbiome, that potentially some bacteria can affect the way we think and behave. And really, the the biggest question that I really wanted to come to today was about the relationship between gut health and mental health. Because I feel like a lot of us miss that, that we don't realise how much our guts affect our mood. You know, you were talking about research that shows there's a psychosocial aspect to intestinal disease. Can you explain how serotonin and dopamine is produced in the gut, how this affects our mood and also repressed emotions? Like a lot of us are living with sort of sense of shame or fear. And does that feed our anxious guts? What is that relationship between gut health and mental health? Oh, this is this is something really close to my heart, actually, I, I think. One of the reasons, just to pan out briefly, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is I've worked in education for so many years and I've really, I feel like I've really seen the journey of increased anxiety and depression in young people. I've really seen it. I've, I've had those conversations with teenagers in colleges and, and talking to parents who are just like, what, what do I do? You know, what do I do with my young person who can't get out of the house, who is so, you know, so feeling such deep sadness? And I think when I started to to look really deeply into the research of the book, I felt like I really needed to explore that aspect of the gut brain axis. And I think I think we're still really understanding exactly how intimately interwoven our gut and our brain are and our gut health connection is it's so powerful. So we talked about the role of the gut microbiome in terms of our immune system, but actually our gut microbiome synthesizes and creates many many key hormones in the body and in particular dopamine and serotonin which are these feel-good chemicals that we really need to feel well and to feel balanced and the evidence it appears to be suggesting that when we deprive our gut microbiome of the fuel the really good food that our gut microbiome needs to be healthy resilient diverse and abundant 
our gut microbiome may struggle to be producing some of these chemicals and the abundance and, and the, the, the amount that we need. But I also think it's a it's a complex relationship because there's a signals that go on through the gut brain axis. And this is through our vagus nerve. Our vagus nerve is a really key pair in our in our gut health. And this is this beautiful long wandering nerve that starts it, it interweaves in our in the walls of our intestine goes through most of the main organs of our body and then it goes up into our brain and this is this beautiful highway between the gut and the brain that's constantly communicating so it's a bi-directional communication so our gut communicates to our brain but our brain is also communicating to our gut and when we get back to fight and flight our, our, it's our brain kind of like you know our pituitary gland it's our pineal gland kind of noticing okay is this a stressful situation i need to communicate back to the gut shut down shut yeah. down the gut the digestive system not necessary at the moment switch off or an emergency mode so this this is going on if you think about it all day every day mm-hmm. but what's particularly interesting is the evidence around the vagus nerve is that this bi-directional relationship is actually going more from the gut to the brain which is kind of fascinating because we often see our brain our head as the kind of the lead at everything but actually it appears that when we're talking about gut instincts and intuition and gut feelings, our language is actually honouring that there is this deeper level of knowing mm-hmm. that we experience in our lives, which is in our gut. And our gut is responding and kind of, I guess, shaping how we feel. And we often, because we're kind of, you know, living neck upwards, we don't always like connect it. to that and feel with that. There's an amazing woman called Professor Felice Kaffer who's done extensive international research and longitudinal research and she's been basically tracking the growth in in young people eating highly processed junk food and the increase in anxiety and depression and so this is really important for us to be aware of and 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 kind of when we're aware of it it's not to kind of there's a risk about feeling guilty or feeling overwhelmed but actually let's just be kind of like let's just have a look at what this is pointing to when we are eating food that isn't nutrient rich and and remember our brain is a very nutrient hungry organ it really takes a lot of our calorie and nutrient intake it takes a lot of our resources when we eat it really needs to be fed well but when we're eating food that is empty calories that aren't really nutrient providing nutrients for our body or our brain mm-hmm. then we're not supporting ourselves we're actually causing stress in our body we're actually causing a state of stress because our body's kind of like actually nutrient deprived. But now we also know that our gut microbiome has this really important role in creating these hormones and these chemicals. So that is about how do we nurture and protect that diversity and health of our gut microbiome. And it really, it's the opposite of eating junk food because actually that food is not providing the fiber, the polyphenols, the probiotics, the prebiotics, all the wonderful diversity of nutrients that actually our gut microbiome also wants and needs. So I think it's important to kind of just say, just from a kind of biological level, that actually the way that our diet has shifted in the last 40 years, and there's been a significant change in the last few decades, there's a lot of emerging evidence of that potentially being a key factor in our the, the kind of reporting and increased levels of anxiety and depression. Yeah, it is because so many people they are struggling right now with mental health yeah. and they have no idea how 
the food that they are eating is impacting mm-hmm. their mental health. And you talking about this and reading your book, I feel so inspired mm-hmm. to even take care more about my health, about my body, what I'm eating, and and to talk about this with other people. Like, listen, yeah. you can have a healthier life. You can have a healthier mind mm-hmm. if you're eating consciously yeah and and listening to your body and and everything that your body needs you mentioned the prebiotics and probiotics the, the three p's that you talk about it in your book can can you explain a little bit about it So probiotics is about increasing the number of bacteria in our gut. So this is actually consuming our bacteria. We're on the cusp of some really exciting change around probiotics, both in terms of our understanding what specific bacteria do in terms of both our mental health and how we feel. So there's an actual branch of treatment called psychobiotics, which is about treating psychological disorders with probiotics watch this space really really breaking research going on at the moment around that um so just to talk about what probiotics are so probiotics you can get them in live yogurts and things like kimchi or sauerkraut so these are living live bacteria kefir's also got um, probiotics in so it's it's basically fermented foods and this creates natural good bacteria that we can then consume And the thing is, we want to eat them regularly because they move through our body. We eat them, they move through our body. You know, this is kind of constant process. We eat bacteria, we lose them. So we want to kind of be having that quite regularly. Then prebiotics are actually the fertilizers that nourish that bacteria. So we go back to our garden. It's the fertilizer we put on the soil to enrich the microbiome of the soil, to enrich the plants to grow. What our bacteria love is fiber. They love fiber. So we want to be eating fruit and vegetables want to be eating grains and legumes they're basically our bodies love things which are high in fiber they really like uh, digest that and they get they really love it and interestingly if you think about a lot of the modern western diet it's not very high in fiber processed food is really lacking in fiber but most natural foods are actually quite high in fiber and simple things like oats apples bananas these are all high in what we call prebiotic fiber and then the third p is polyphenols And I like to add polyphenols because polyphenols are a wonderful way of creating an antioxidant environment in the gut and really supporting our bacteria to thrive. And polyphenols are, whenever you look at bright colour food, these are rich in different polyphenols. But simple things like tea, black and green tea are high in polyphenols. Berries are super rich, so your blueberries, your strawberries, your raspberries. And also excitingly, because this is also about having balance, Dark chocolate is super, super food. It's high in polyphenols as well. I love dark chocolate. So important. We've got to have like small pleasures, haven't we? We've got to find the, the, the love and the fun in our healthy food diet. We've got to find those exciting things that kind of get us, get our taste buds working up. So yeah, probiotics, prebiotics and polyphenols are three Ps. They're wonderful grounding and good gut health. talk about self-compassion massively throughout the book how is compassion so intrinsically important for our gut health 
going back to when I shared my story at the start, you know, when I was in hospital, I woke up the morning, you know, after I arrived in hospital and I, and I just had this sense of something really profound had changed in my life. I had this incredible sense of compassion towards myself that I'd never felt before. And I think it was because I'd seen this, you know, very frail, very vulnerable person. And I, and it was really a tangible feeling. And I, and I think, I think we can be really tough on ourselves. You know, I think, I think, you know, I, I think there's some amazing research around the level I think in the UK we're actually quite t- quite tough on ourselves you know the stiff upper lip that whole cultural heritage around and carry on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and actually being a little bit gentle and a little bit kind of caring and being kind to ourselves is makes change sustainable because I think if we come from a place where we're just being really hard and really tough and I'm going to do this this and this and if I don't I'm going to beat myself up (laughs) (laughs) that's not sustainable is it it's kind of like how long can you keep can you keep doing that but it's a compassion is a lens isn't it so it's like bringing a different lens it's it's bringing a kind of sense of I'm on my side I'm I'm with myself, like you know, going back to like literally touching our belly, touching our heart. I'm actually connected, you know, just kind of arriving in our bodies and you know, connecting to our heart, connecting to our gut, just taking a lovely breath and going, how can I, how can I care for myself today? How can I care for my gut today? How can I slow down a little bit? Wow. Really I love that we just naturally yeah, immediately both of us hold yeah. your heart and our guts and and how you feel the love you, you feel do. the change it's bringing yourself back to your body and feeling calm mm. okay yes I can do this mm. oh thank you Cara thank you for oh. bringing time and oh. presence to yeah. It is beautiful because I often found um, when we would be doing the like sort of visualizations or meditations that when I did close my eyes, or put my hand on my heart or gut, the just emotions start coming to the surface that we don't normally access because I'm working and I check my emails and I check in my phone and I'm doing this. And then you just drop in and, and it kind of it's you sit with it a little yeah. bit more. It's just it's free. It's accessible to everyone. And it's often the thing in capitalist society where we're all rushing to make money for ourselves it's often the the thing that we miss so thank you for really bringing that to life in such a beautiful way what i'm really inspired about with you cara is that it seems like with your book you integrate spirituality and mental health so beautifully throughout the book it's not just here's the science and research off you go it feels you talk about the energetic body you talk about mantras and meditations and yoga so me and Alpha were like (laughs) (laughs) yeah and a lot of us it seems quite mainstream nowadays thinking about the chakras and the energy centers in Mm. our body we've got seven main energy centers but we've obviously Mm. got millions so we've got loads of energy channels but I was so interested that you said that the root and solar chakra centers are particularly important for our gut health. 
What is it about those particular chakras that are potentially so linked to our gut health problems? I think this has very much come from the intuitive work I've done over the years, working with my gut and working with others. And I think those two energy centers, I think the root chakra is really about nourishing our our core being and our core body. And it, it's kind of the obviously the root of all the other chakras. Our solar plexus chakra is where our guts, our small intestine, our large intestine is kind of based. So I think there's a really strong connection between those two in terms of the trauma that we often hold in our bodies. It can be different for different people, but I sometimes think as well, going back to the piece around anxiety, depression, emotions that we might push down often seem to sit in the belly. I think any emotion that we find difficult was labelled as negative. Our anger can get pushed down, turned inward, held in the gut. You know, I think the idea of having a fire in our belly, but not maybe being able to express it, you know, being able to kind of like not being okay to have those emotions. So I have certainly found working both with myself over many years on my healing journey, but working with others as well, that breathing in, doing some work around those energy centers has subtle but really powerful effects over time it seems to kind of shift or unlock things and it was interesting hearing you talk Donia about you know going through your detox at the moment and the kind of relationship with food and food is interesting it's like it can be such a distraction we can use food can't we to kind of escape emotions and so I think there's, there's something there around the connection between a whole digestive system and its role in processing our emotions mm. and also processing what we eat. I, I wanted to review, Elfa, as well, because you're um, an energy worker and healer. Have you found like a lot of people with gut health problems have come to you? Actually, yes. it's quite interesting. Yes, absolutely. And I think that what I've been feeling recently and making the, these connections recently is like people complaining about the, their digestive system and really anxious, really, really anxious. That's what we talked before about this connection between the gut and, and, yeah. and the mind. So definitely. How much is energy work so relevant to releasing some of this trauma? Yeah, like I think that people, like when they come for a, um, a chakra balancing, for example, and, and you feel like this imbalance in the root chakra, they feel that people, Normally, they're not grounded at all. And when they're not grounded, they're not nourishing themselves. Mm. They don't have this connection of, it's, it's the cycle. Like, yeah. you're not eating well. You're not nurture, nurturing yourself. So you're not grounded. And then your root is absolutely yes. unbalanced. And then your entire chakra system is unbalanced. Because you said yesterday something about the solar is connected to our personal power. Our personal power, yes. This is so interesting because I can imagine, like, I've definitely felt a sense of feeling very disempowered with having a health condition. And I can imagine, like, for a lot of people with IBS and, and you know, bowel conditions, that, that the solar of that feeling of personal power almost becomes a bit diminished. Mm. So it's just interesting. I didn't realise that that was personal power was so linked to the solar plexa. Mm. I'm just so interested in the fact that you've integrated this energy work because I think sometimes um, in the West we think pill or surgery and it's so mm. materialistic yeah. and that's yeah. the only way of yeah. healing and it almost feels like that actually these illnesses often manifest from the energetic body. Yeah. So mm. if imbalance in the energetic body, 
how have we then manifested dis-ease in the body through that so I just yeah. yeah, I think it's it's a deep connection between the two. It's like the body can be unbalanced and affecting the energetic field. Yes. And the opposite is your energetic field is unbalanced and then it's going to affect your body. Yeah. So it's the cycle. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more you're going to try to, okay, I have to understand what's going on with my body. Yeah. What's going on with my health? And Elfa and I were really excited, really Cara, passionate about this. <laughs> your gut love dance. Probably <laughs> one of my favourite things in the book. Absolutely. I, it's, I'm a genius. It's so genius. <laughs> and we both love dance and love music. Yeah. I'm a beginner DJ as well. And I saw this and I was like, this is my kind of healing. Um, <laughs> you said that um, our bodies hold memories in our muscles and movement goes deeper than words. And in the gut love dance, you suggest breathe into your fear, your frustration, your rage, your anxiety, give them shape. And I just, I absolutely loved it. Can you describe your inspiration behind the gut love dance? Yeah, it was actually the first time I started to experiment with it. I was actually, I'd gone in for a hospital checkup. And I remember really clearly being in my hospital gown in the toilet and it was like a private moment and I just started to move. I just started to like almost kind of go into stance, like stance of strength. I felt really vulnerable and I needed to be strong and I needed to connect with my body. And I was like, and I knew that it was like help. It was supporting me. It was, it was helping me to connect really deeply, heart, gut connection, really powerfully movement is healing movement is a really important part of this you know we can get really talk about food and we can talk about diet and that has a role but movement and physical connection and emotional connection with ourselves is a big part of the that holistic aspect of healing I think there's something about empowerment like that was felt really important inspiration empowerment strength courage I love the New Zealand hacker, you know, this beautiful dance that happens at the Warriors, at, you know, like at the start of the rugby match. I was kind of I was watching that and I was kind of connecting with that when I was writing and I was trying to describe the movements. It was kind of like that real sense of something inward, that inward strength, but also that sense of like display and power it was like really kind of like I was channeling that. I was really kind of I was looking at women doing the hacker because there is actually a heritage of women having the hacker dance as well. It's a ceremonial process. It's a really powerful process. And I think ceremony and ritual can be really supportive when we're healing. It can support us to stop, to be more aware, to be more present. I think just to mention briefly, though, in compassion, there is a yin yang of self-compassion. I don't know if you know the work of Kristen there. So the yin of self-compassion is this idea of being tender and gentle and kind and soft and yielding. But the yang of self-compassion is it's actually about being strong. It's advocating for ourselves. It's articulating. Yeah. It's setting boundaries. It's being like, no. Yes. And oh, it's clarity. <laughs> so it's this lovely part of the yin-yang. And I felt like the yang is the dance is the yang of self-compassion. It's being really powerful, but it's also kind of <laughs> leaning into your strength and being, I'm going to care for myself. Yes. Sometimes we want to tap into the fierce energy. And I love that you described it as this sort of warrior stance yes. and the strength, Strong. empowerment. Yeah. 
I listen to your audio, you encourage belly breathing and describe a belly metta bahavana practice from the Theravada Buddhist tradition, yeah. which is about directing loving kindness towards ourselves. And I wondered whether you might be open to guiding us through one for the end of the episode. This is so important that it doesn't all talking in our head, but actually it's experiential in our body and our belly. So yeah, I'd love to. So I would just encourage you to sit up if you can, because it's lovely just to open the front of the body and open the area of the belly. So just having the shoulders nice and back, just so they're open and just feeling really stable in your body and wherever you're sitting. It's great to have your feet flat on the floor if you can. To deepen it, if you put one hand, just one palm on your heart and one palm on your belly, that can really just connect you to your breath. And I'm just going to encourage you just to take a lovely deep breath into that lower hand. So when you're breathing in, you're feeling that lower palm move out. And as you exhale, imagine just sighing. Imagine that you're misting a mirror with your breath. And making that sigh can really help just to release tension in the body and the belly. So another lovely deep breath in together. Sighing happily. So now that we've connected with our beautiful belly, we're just going to send it some loving kindness. It's a simple refrain that you can say quietly to yourself is, as you continue to breathe, may my body be well. May my body be calm. May my body be healed. Let's finding words that really resonate with you. May my body be whole. May my body be at peace. And as you say, the refrain, the words quietly to yourself, to your belly. Taking that lovely deep breath, just gently into that lower part of your belly. May my body be healed. May my body be calm.
and now to complete, send love and healing to your belly. Thank it for the work it does for you each day. Thank all those beautiful bacteria in your gut microbiome for all the ways that they support you and nourish you each day. And smile to yourself and to your belly. And when you're ready, you can come back into the room. I think it's so beautiful that we could end with gratitude. I can't thank you enough, Cara. We've honestly been so excited to speak to you. And it's just been a blessing. It's so enjoyable and I've learned so much. I love your book. Thank you. Really, uh, I feel really inspired by you. Really, really inspired. Thank you so much. What an absolute joy to meet with you both and to have the space this morning to talk all things gut health. I mean, it's absolutely my passion and how lovely to have two people who are also doing the work in the world and kind of spreading the message of compassion and care and finding just finding moments just to just to be just to be present to ourselves. So thank you both, Alpha and Donia. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode with the incredible Cara Wheatley McGrain and my gorgeous, gorgeous friend, Elfa. To find out more about Cara's work, how you can purchase her book and her upcoming retreat, please check out the links in the description, where you'll also be able to find out more about Elfa's healing and coaching work. Stay tuned for more episodes on spirituality, well-being and creativity. And now I'm so excited to play you out to a full belly Meta Bahavana practice by Cara Wheatley-McGrain with the incredible music accompaniment of Starseed Soul. Thank you for listening. is designed to shine a light on your hidden gut organs. To give them a voice, they become real places in your inner body that deserve to be treated with mindful attention and care. This ancient practice will support you in stretching and developing your self-love muscle. And once this is strengthened, you'll find this naturally expands outwardly into the rest of your life. Their Metta Bhavana practice is an ancient Theravada Buddhist tradition that actually supports your development of loving-kindness, firstly by directing it towards yourself, and then outwardly towards others. So in this case, we're going to love your gut, your dear, precious gut microbiome. In the Metta Bhavana practice, we focus on the traditional refrain, May I be well? May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be safe. complete this practice it's really useful to find a quiet space, a comfortable position to sit in and to breathe deeply into your belly. This supports you to become grounded and centered in your belly. 
You can also connect to your head, heart and hara. And by taking the breath deeply into the hara, into your gut, into the core of your being, you will naturally notice yourself start to relax and become more centered in the core of your being. In our Bali Metabhavna practice, we will be focusing on our gut and developing a mantra to support us to feel healed and whole. May my body be well, may it be healed, may it be safe. May my body be gently nourished by this meal. May my body be well, may it be healed, may it be safe. May my bloated body be soothed, may it be blessed. May my body be well, may it be healed, may it be safe. May my colon be calm, may my colon be healed, may my colon be whole. be well, may it be healed, may it be safe. May I feel peace, may I feel strong, may I feel whole. May my body be well, may it be healed, may it be safe. May I learn to listen and love my gut. be well, may it be healed, may it be safe. May I be well, may I be happy, may I be safe. May I be well, may I be happy, may I be safe. May I be well, may I be happy, may I be safe. Be safe.